Welcome to the CBD Ed Show with Ed Cheney, a CBD industry expert and business executive. In this program, we will discuss the uses of CBD and other methods of treatment that are alternatives but also complement conventional medicines. Now, here is your host, Ed Cheney. Welcome, listeners, to the CBD Ed Show. I'm your host, Ed Cheney, along with the stunning and by the way, you have a very summer look today. Kimberly Rose. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Ed. Absolutely. All right. Listeners, we have a show that is done remote today. We are in our lovely home in Scottsdale. Yeah. Where the weather is beautiful. We're in the early days of March. I think most of the country is freezing and, well, pretty nice here. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to call it bragging rights, but yeah, we usually we're going to go from this beautiful weather, which is 70 <laughs> degrees today to right. 100 right. very quickly, <laughs> very quickly. Uh, but in the meantime, it's beautiful. So we appreciate that we have the ability to share our home with you today as we talk about getting into the cannabis business. Listen, I feel that cannabis is making a big impact on the world, not just so much the US, a big impact in health specifically. So anyone who wants to shine and is considering jumping into the cannabis space, you are contributing in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, of course we don't want those individuals that are just out to make a buck. We want the, we want people to feel like they're contributing to a good, uh, a good cause. Well said. Yeah. Right. I yeah. absolutely agree with you. 100%. I mean, of course you want to make money also, but if you actually feel like you're doing the person across from you, uh, justice by giving them a good, healthy product to help them out, yep. then it's it's just so much more gratifying and it just gives to the world instead of take and the world wants this right now so if you jumped into this space and you had good business acumen good knowledge and you were also uh a, a genuine yeah you likely would show up yeah and i i think this is a wonderful industry to show up in and shine so we're going to give you Lessons learned mostly. We'll get a chance to speak to a few who have already traveled this path. One of those being Kimberly Rose. Yes. And she'll be able to share from that unique perspective of, hmm, I'm thinking about jumping in. Yeah, right. Exactly, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll just kind of lay out some groundwork today and, and we'll move through this. And I, I anticipate this is going to be uh, an enjoyable subject. Certainly for me, it will be. Yeah. And we were talking earlier about sharing our house and watching this video will go up. Uh, we're not sure where, if it's going to be <laughs> it's on gonna be YouTube yeah. or where, but it will be going up. So you can actually watch it also. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's start this conversation out with, there are a couple, I'm sorry, not, not a couple. There are two, directions in which you can go in if you wanted to jump into the cannabis space. And those two are considered either direct or indirect. Direct, we have a kind of really neat 
phrase that we've coined for uh, being directly in the cannabis business. And that if you are plant touching. Yes. If you're plant touching, you're in the direct vertical of the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. And you might also look at as you are also the one in there creating cannabis sales. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and that's the one we'll talk about the most because the indirect or some might refer to it as ancillary surfaces, our services are usually supportive in nature, like accounting or helping with compliance or consulting or investing. These ancillary services services usually have other industry clients. They're not specific to just cannabis. Not all. They are probably a unique uh, clientele that are like testing, Mm -hmm. which is part of compliance. A lot of testing businesses are very specific to just cannabis. Right. I think that they've branched off that they're not testing other products outside of the cannabis world. Not to say that it won't change, but right now there's enough demand to keep them plenty busy. Yes. All right. And so the best way for me to approach this uh, is to talk about the general practices needed if you were to start any business. Now, I've got 30 years plus in me of doing this. So my knowledge not only comes from gaining knowledge from all the, all the education I've had, but it also comes from a lot of doing it wrong. Yeah. Well, and I've, yeah, I have, I have no uh, experience before, (laughs) before this one, I was a worker bee. I was the nine to five girl employee. So he has a lot of knowledge and, uh, and it's, it's very interesting. It's a completely different world. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wait till we get to that section. Cause yeah. that's likely going to be the most helpful, but if you don't do these steps that we're talking about in the beginning, you may struggle with the second part of this, which is the things that are unique just to this industry. Yeah. All right. Let's start with, all right. Basic startup really is planning those who choose not to plan or who jump out of the planning phase before it is complete, i.e. I'm raising my hand. I've done that quite a bit. If you choose not to either plan or you jump out too quick, uh, you may lose at the end. Uh, Your plan also needs to do something that's very unique. You don't really see this written anywhere, but your plan needs to cater to both the startup and the growth. If you do not look at those two individually, again, it can be painful. So a lot of people who start, who create their plan and it's only focused in on growth, often will find out they become cash flow starved because their capitalization plan was not sufficient. Anyway, in a normal startup plan, really what you want to focus in on is, is capitalization, staffing, operations, marketing, sales, financial. I think another important component of all businesses, especially as we talked about earlier, it being something that contributes to the community, contributes to society, is a company culture, a culture centered around something that is very important to you, which would really be articulated in your vision statement. 
After your vision statement, you would have a mission statement that would define how you will get to that vision. How, yeah, I'll just say it. How you are going to step through these process to fulfill your vision. And then the last piece of a culture, uh, culture is core values, a set of core values or the way that you will conduct yourself while running towards this vision of yours. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now this culture, those companies who have established one, especially one that is genuine heart purposefully done, right. That has a purpose behind it. Usually they have a much higher rate of success than the ones who do not have this. Well, I think that, yeah, I, I mean, that kind of goes with almost anything, everything in life. If you feel good about what you're doing and you have a purpose and you feel like it's, you know, a good purpose yeah. and the person across the register or where the, wherever you are you feel is also feels good, yep. then it's just a win-win all the way around. I know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then this becomes enjoyable. Yeah. Hey, there's going to be plenty of things that are like going to feel burdensome. Oh. Hey, tax. Woo yeah. Yeah. Fun one. But when you have that feeling that Kimberly is talking about, uh, it, it helps to balance that out or yeah. helps make that tolerable. Right. Cause there's a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. There is another component to planning your business in advance. And again, this is something that most people do not talk about, you know, when you're in consulting or, or you, you know, you, are, you acquire a, a consultant or you're reading up on how to create a plan for your business. And that is your strategy style. Now, why do I make a point to bring this up? Because the, the cannabis industry is so unique that attention to your strategy style is extremely important. I'll rephrase that. It is extremely important. Okay, here's why. Here, there are currently four types of strategy styles. And they are shaping, visionary, classical, and adaptive. We all know classical. Classical is in an industry that has been around for a while. It's very predictable. You're going to use the classical approach to creating your business strategy. You're going to view what others have done. You are going to set goals. You are going to have long-term goals. That could be two and four and six years down the road. And you do not expect any big surprises other than, you know, competitive. Right. All right. So the industry itself, the environment that the industry is in is somewhat predictable. Then you can go classical. And by the way, classical was the primary strategy style for most of the last hundred years. It didn't start changing until about 15, 20 years ago. Okay. Some of the big, well, I'll just get, okay. Now we have one called shaping. A shaping strategy is best in an unpredictable environment that you have the power to change. So if you may have the ability to change this industry's environment, usually it's in a new 
or a young high growth industry in which where we what we are yes where barriers to entry are low that's also has been true for the cannabis industry barriers are low and innovation rates are high demand is very hard to predict and the relative position of the competitors are in flux so a company can often radically shift the course of an industry development through its innovative moves this is a shaping style strategy and you move to a visionary style strategy sometimes not only does a company have the power to shape the future but it's possible to know that future and to predict the path to realizing it einstein did this in the in the industry of electricity okay so that is a visionary style strategy you mean edison right Edison. What did I say? You said Einstein. <laughs> oh my goodness. I meant Edison. <laughs> That's okay, folks. I'm here to correct. Where's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the replay button? <laughs> and then uh, on the fourth one, we have an adaptive style strategy. This approach works really well in a highly unpredictable industry that are also not easily shapeable. The competitive conditions are highly volatile and there's constantly changing regulatory landscape. This environment doesn't allow us to plan very far out. All right. Of those three, you, of those four, you can kind of look into which one you think fits. I'm going to tell you what we found out at Adaptive all day long. And mostly because of everything it said. Regulatory constantly evolving and so much more evolving is yet to come yeah competition wow very volatile uh, the environment is just incredibly unpredictable yeah all right so an adaptive now i told you i i here's who has already moved google probably was the first one to move to adaptive amazon adaptive so there are a lot of big players that have already moved to adaptive i'm just going to tell you this if you type in strategy style types onto Google, you will get a chance to review these four strategy types. Uh, and you can probably get some information on how to kind of form or cater these strategies into your business planning. All right, wanted to share those couple of big nuggets. I thought they were super helpful in increasing your rate of success. All right, outside of that, hey, listen, building a strong base. Mistakes I have learned, and I'm telling you, it just took me a long time to learn it over and over and over again. Building that strong base, the mistakes that I've always made was rushing towards the sale. Either I did not plan or I stopped before the plan was done or I ignored the plan. I've done all three <laughs> because I wanted to rush to the sale. I wanted to rush and go, hey, world, look what I got. Yeah. All right. That's a flaw. I'm just telling you it's a flaw. So give thought to it in advance and maybe I let's have some fun let's talk about the industry and its uniqueness this is where we're really gonna this is, this is uh this is the entertaining part of the show all right let's start with regulatory all right there are two components to regulatory problem with it as it is and problem with it the absence of it Right. I was going to say, those are big. yeah, and, and it's not fun <laughs> <laughs> anywhere. Is right. it fun? Cause you're, you're not sure. No. Well, yeah. In this industry anyway, we're still not sure about so many things. Right. 
So, so let's talk about that. So the problem with regulatory involvement as it is today is it's extremely gray. Right. One agency has one particular, uh, let's see how we want to put this, uh, um, has a, uh, a view of it or a stance or a position or a perception. And another agency, which you think they would work well together, may have a, com- and may not may have, do have a completely different one. Yeah. So DEA and FDA are two good examples of that. And I'm not suggesting it is anything in particular, but but the laws, the way they are written or the political environment around it is not conducive to all our agencies coming together. Right. Well, we got to remember, I mean, this plant uh, has been demonized for a very long time. Yeah. So to now uh, have everyone go, oh, my gosh, we were totally wrong the whole time. And it, it, we were wrong. This is, it's so wonderful. It's such a medicinal plant. And we, I, I don't, we, we have no idea why we put all those restrictions on this plant. Uh, to now turn around and say we were wrong. Oh, that's just not something they're going to do. It's not. I agree. We keep thinking it's something they're going to do, but in reality, it's just not going to be. And not easily. They might kind of skirt around it someday to say, okay. Well, let's, uh, yeah. And and it has, it has, um, it has an ending to it, I believe. Well, let's. So I think what's near and in the future is if the the Safe Banking Act gets passed by the Senate and gets signed into into the into the bill, the the financial institutes will then have the freedom to participate in this industry. That should pave the way for our federal federal agencies to come together and finally dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Mm -hmm. And I think once that happens, then the standards will then come from those agencies to allow us to understand what the compliance requirements will be. And then everybody can play fairly. Yeah, that would be great because uh, it, we said years ago, gosh, I can't believe it's years now Yeah, that uh, we just needed one of these big, I call them bullies, but one of these big key players to take that step forward. Um, and I guess we're going to go ahead and say it's not going to be DEA and it's not going to be FDA. It's going to be the banks. <laughs> That's something. Uh, now, there's another problem. And I'm just going to keep moving so we can get through yeah. all this stuff. There's another problem with the absence of regulatory presence. And that is, you know, sometimes you have inscrupulous, low ethic people who are jumping into the space mm-hmm. and not following even normal standards, no self-policing. Uh, and that tends to corrupt the industry because it influences the consumer's view of the marketplace. Right. Because, you know, anytime yeah. doesn't somebody doesn't play right in the field or get right. whatever, then it's just sensationalized everywhere. 
Now let's talk about another component that is unique to the cannabis industry, and that is the marketing climate. Mm-hmm. Now, the marketing climate, as I've known in my 30 years, it's always been a lot of, you know, the me- marketing media has always been in print and radio and TV, and now it's all got to be online. No, it's not, it doesn't all have to be online. But there's a ferocious amount of competition and requirements online that never used to be there. Right. And restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. And restrictions. So in today's retail climate, you know, we have one of the dramas is online. Yeah. And if you don't solve online, you can be in a world of trouble. As a matter of fact, uh, we have a director of marketing for a manufacturer, a CBD manufacturer, uh, named Canafil online. Uh, her name is Tammy, and she's going to share a few of her experiences, right, that she has ran into that were uniquely different to this industry. Uh, Tammy, do we have you online? I just wanted to uh, share with you just a few things. Um, honestly, you're right. You're spot on with a, the um, the online aspect of marketing um, in today's climate. Uh, most businesses, that's their focus. It's been their focus for some time, and uh, it's just very, very different in this space. Um, yep. The cannabis space, obviously, is very, very different. So, um, yeah. I, I think one of the things that I've learned, uh, and I'll just share with the listeners, uh, I have been in the business community for, for a long time. We won't say how long, uh, but <laughs> I've had my own business before, and I've um, you worked for other people. I've worked in marketing. I've worked in sales. And uh, when I came on as the director of marketing for Canafil, I uh, believed in the product so much and, and saw what it did for people, and I just thought it would be an easy task. And, and I have to say, I, <laughs> I was surprised, uh, to I, say the least. I'm, the roadblocks I'm there with been... you. <laughs> I, <we're, laughs> I think both Kim and I are there with you on this one. Surprised. Oh, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. I mean, it just really... Um, it set me back. I, I, I had to re- sort of rethink my whole... Um, my whole idea of what marketing was, it had to be yep. sort of retold. And, and I, I just, in, in this day and age, I know that sounds weird, but in this day and age, I kind of thought, wow, this is something I, I would not have expected. Um, so having no familiarity with the, with the industry, I, I was just blown away um, by what, what was happening. Um, and it's still, you know, it's, it's fluctuating and there's some things that have changed a little bit, but for the most part, um, online advertising of CBD products uh, is just not there. It is, yeah. it's just a, a no, a big fat no. Um, so no social media, you know, no Facebook, no Instagram, no Twitter, no Google ads. I, I mean, for most people that, that puts such a strain on your marketing, how do you navigate that, you know? Um right. And so that to me made a huge difference in in how we approach things. And I think for people starting out in this business, they they wouldn't necessarily know that, and it could it could really change their trajectory in right. in how they're going to sell their products. You know, um, even marketplaces, 
you know, you think of Amazon or you think of eBay or, or things like that. There, there's, there's no access to that either. So even if there's products that look like CBD, they're not actually CBD on those marketplaces. And, and that has changed things a lot and, and made it more difficult for the CBD, I think, for this. I don't know what you guys think, but I think for the CBD companies who are marketing good products and, and they're producing good things, uh, they're set back by that, too, because that's such a weird space. And they tend um, to get grouped. They group get good products tend to get grouped in with those crappy ones. Yeah. Yeah. And then the consumer is just the one who pays the price for that because they, yep. they can't really tell what's going on. And, and, and that, that in and of, in and of itself makes it bad, I think. Um, and then even video platforms, I was, I, I personally was just really shocked. Okay. No, no average, like nothing. I can't say anything on YouTube. You know, we can't, do anything on TikTok. I mean, you have to really be very careful about uh, what happens there. But for the most part, it's 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 a no go. Um, even press releases, which was something that just completely that that also, you know, with the legality with the with the farm bill and CBD being legal in in every state, and you know, just even though there's differences from state to state, I was just really surprised about the press release thing too. Um, so yeah, that part made made a huge difference um, in how I approached what what we were going to do at Canafil. And, and I think that if people are planning to get into this space, like that needs to be really well thought out. I mean, there's still some things that people can do uh, to advertise or to promote their products, but, you know, you're limited severely by what, what you can do. Um, Which can have a big impact on your financial predictions because that cost <gasps> – of doing it wrong over a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And barrier. even even try even the mentality I think of oh well ever you know other people are advertising on uh, Instagram. How come I can't you know how come I can't put my products out there? How come I can't talk about my products yep. in in that way? I think that's a, it's it can be. Um, it, it can just set your plan in a different direction, and then you feel kind of lost, like, where do I go? How, how am I going to – I have this great product, and who am I going to sell it to? <laughs> how are they ever going to know? How are they going to find me? What, what do I do? And, and I think having a really sturdy plan I – mean, there's a lot of people out there also who are saying, oh, we can get you this advertising. We can do this for you. We can do that. Um, you know, that that's a trap in itself, too. So you have to just be really careful as you walk through this. You know, how are you going to find the ways to, to market the products in a way that stays true to what your product is? And also, you know, especially like you talked about earlier, wanting to help some somebody out there or helping your clientele wanting to get this product out in, in a good way, you have to be really careful about how you do it. So that's nice. been my experience. Good, good feedback. Really super helpful feedback. I am, I, you know, I didn't even think about the last one, Tammy, where you have so many ancillary marketing businesses out there that are trying to buy for your dollar uh, that they likely will promise the, the world. And, Oh yeah, have a very difficult time delivering it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's really crazy. All right. How many obstacles? Yeah. We we think, oh, this yeah. is a great idea, and then they go, nope, yeah. <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> All right. So Absolutely. a well a well thought out marketing plan with this concept in mind. I'm hearing Tammy says that is extremely important if you don't want to waste 
a ton of money. Yeah. Correct. And time. And yeah. time. And a valuable time. All right. Tammy, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. We really do appreciate it. And I know our listeners feel the same. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a okay. great show. Bye, All right. All right. Bye now. Bye. Okay. Now, listeners, we are going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to quickly go through a couple more of these really, really super, I mean, the entertaining ones are still yet to come. Mm-hmm. But we're going to go through them quickly enough so that we can run through the specific verticals that are in the cannabis supply market. And so let's go take a short break for our vendor and we will be right back. You are tuned into the CBD Ed Show. If you have a question that you'd like addressed on a future episode of our program, please send an email to info at the com. That's info at the com. Now, back to the CBD Ed Show. Okay, listeners, welcome back to the CBD Ed Show. We're super glad to have you joining us today as we are talking about getting into the cannabis business. When we left, we were talking about the unique characteristics of building a business in the cannabis industry. And we walked through a couple of them, regulatory and, and marketing. Let's keep going down that list. We have just a few more. Let's go financial. Financial is a big one. It's getting a little better uh, as we, as most will probably have already understood this. If, if you've ever participated in a retail purchase at a cannabis dispensary, you got to pay cash. Right. There's yep. no credit card act transactions there. Now you got to ask yourself, oh, why isn't there a credit card transaction? Well, because banking will not get into this business until the DEA, the FDA, everybody gets in and says, oh, we're not going to penalize you for selling marijuana. Right. And then take all their stuff from them. Yeah. Okay. So that's as simple as I can make it. And until that gets cleared up, the banks are not going to get involved, nor will the merchant companies, first datas and, and alike. They just won't get involved. And that trickles all the way down even to a CBD store. Now, there are new merchant companies out there. And this is what I want to share with you. They cost a little bit more, a little harder to get them. And then sometimes, you know, they, they close up shop and you have to find another, but it is doable, but plan in advance because it's painful for you to ramp up to $20,000 a month in sales only to have somebody inside of four days go, you can no longer use your merchant account. Right. Try, try to tell your online customers to give you cash. It doesn't work. No. And we've done it all. We've had what we had one merchant that we had all we could use all cards across the board. And then one day we right. could only get MasterCard to work. And then I, and then we went to none. And then even in the POS system, depending yeah. who owned the POS system, as a for example, uh, what is it? Uh, Clover, yeah. who is a you know common POS system. Well, because First Data has ownership in Clover, or it is a Clover Clover product or a First Data product, no longer can be used to process uh, cannabis transactions. Anyway, okay, give thought to that banking and merchant. Even uh, yeah, all right, even yeah, there's there, there's just a lot yeah. to consider there that needs a little plan wrapped around it. How sure. about we go to legal? Legal. We've already shared a couple of stories, so I can be 
quick. Uh, there's a past, current, and future. Uh, understanding the past helps us to understand the future. So the past was, yeah, nobody knew. Really, nobody knew. I remember the days where they would come in and storm a CBD store and take their products. They would stop a shipment and take the products. They would, right? Because nobody knew. And then the state didn't know what to do. So some would, some wouldn't. It was very confusing times. Very right. confusing times. Yeah. I had a employee left uh, the lab uh, the employment at the facility because we were, you know, doing the preparations required to use uh, CBD distillates, which, you know, there's a certain process and heat is part of it. So the fumes of cannabis can be pretty strong. And uh, a, a policeman was out in the parking lot and employee got scared and, and quit that day. <laughs> yeah, well, she was a little, uh, anyway. Yeah, so, so listen, yeah. so that's the past. And so you can tell that legal environment was struggling. Now that we have CBD legal in most all states, uh, that we have medical marijuana, we have recreational marijuana or legal in lots of states, it's starting to turn the clock, but uh, still, they are le the legal grayness is causing the banks not to jump in, which is causing other problems. The future is, we already talked about it, if we get a couple of bills and we get Congress and the Senate to finally pass them over, that'll clean all this up and things will get better. Now, if you want me to predict time, time is two years at a minimum before it is an environment in which you can predict yeah, that's my guess, but it's still an early stage of this growing industry. So don't be afraid, just plan around it. How about we keep going? There is a need for you to develop your business with a certain amount of ethics. Why? It's good for business for you, I promise. Here, think, think through this. Cannabis, right, in general, it emerged from the black market. So that's the business you're in is yesterday it was in the black market. Today it's in general commerce. Right. Don't think that's not an issue. It is. It's an issue in all kinds of areas. Their perceptions can be everywhere. So, right. Yes. And then two, the lobbyist campaigns that are around cannabis as the gateway drug created fear after fear. <laughs> wow. Those perceptions are everywhere as well. And you think, oh, okay, well, I can talk my customer into this. It's not just your customer. It's your landlord. It's your, it, it's, it's your insurance agent. They all have perspectives. Make sure you plan in advance that this may be an issue and that you have an ethics approach mm -hmm. that might help to make them feel better. Okay. Yeah. And these are great ideas that are not going to show up in a business plan consultant meeting. All right. And then we have political. And again, a little bit of planning. All this is all for you guys. All right. Is it possible that there are great big players out there that cannabis might be displacing their revenue? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Big Pharma <laughs> and alcohol are two very big ones. Yes. Don't think they're not, their chess moves aren't much further advanced than ours. Right. Okay. So when you build your plan, you might want to build it with that in mind. Is there, a, is your plan going to be with an end result of an acquisition or a roll-up or some liquidity? What, what is your five-year plan or what is your exit plan? Are you going to stay in? And if you do, how will you manage around 
some of these big players are going, okay, I'm jumping in. And what do they call that? Big, big, uh, the big uh, gorilla jumps into your market space. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> alcohol has been very close to trying to, uh, well, I think they even have some alcohol CBD yeah. things, Coca-Cola, all those big players are like, yeah. well, wait a minute, I can make a buck off of this. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but please don't drink CBD, Coca-Cola with CBD in it. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. All right. Let's move into the, the big, the segments inside of the plant touch part of the business. All right. Let's start with, well, I'm going to tell you what all four of them are going to be. We have cultivators. We have extractors. We have manufacturers and we have retails, brick and mortar retail and e-commerce retail. All right. Mm -hmm. So those are our four positions we're going to talk about and give you a little bit of, you know, just a little light information on each of them. Now cultivators or by the you would take growers. You might even just say farmers. These are the ones that bring it to the market. The, the, first, the first step in the supply chain. All right. These are also the only ones really regulated. Yeah, they're definitely, you've got lots of rules and All right. stuff there. Yeah, yeah, USDA does a really good job. And I thought that was a pretty brilliant move. Somebody needed to be regulated. And until a good understanding of what, where, and who, and where, why not start at the beginning of the chain? It was a good idea. The, the other side of that coin is I feel, far, I feel sorry for all the farmers who went, I want to jump into this space because, listen, they've already been beat up by big, by big uh, growers of other products. You know, the, the, the farmers keep getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. Mm -hmm. So this was a nice opportunity for them to create a cash crop that could help them balance themselves back out. Yeah. And for a while that kind of worked, but they had to learn this process. So it took a little bit of time, but I can say that the farmers, the growers, the cultivators have understood and learned the process, but the problem's not over yet. Once you have your crop, crop, it has to be, uh, it has to be inspected and tested. And if it fails, the whole crop goes. Yeah. It's gone. And right. you have to start over again. Uh, so it can be a little risky and that model has to be built in. But thank goodness it's there because then as us at the end, at the retail, yeah, yeah, we are comfortable that we are giving you something that's not going to hurt you. It's been tested I like know. 10 so times. Before it is it good. There. So listen, all you growers and cultivators out there, we listen, love you. we're all, well, we love you and we're all grateful for you. We know how hard it is. Yeah. Now, if you wanted to get into this business, you already know the farming part. That's not anything I'm going to contribute, but there are two levels of two, two areas where you need to pay attention to in order to get your license. You need to, again, follow uh, the USDA's requirements. And I'm pretty sure at the state level, they will require that before they allow you to submit uh, an application for a cannabis license within the state. Gotcha. Now, I, I only know a few things about Arizona. That's how they worked. Uh, and after you have met the requirements and the qualifications, uh, then you uh, it, they suggest it's about a $7,500 cost to get in, then a $1,000 annual renewal. 
Uh, and, and here you need a, you needed a dispensary license first before you could get a cultivator's license. So the $7,500 included both of those. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, yeah. So that's how Arizona decided. So what you would just do is go to the USDA, find out what their requirements are. And now I'm only talking about hemp farmers first and then move to your state, find out what their regulators are. Now, if you wanted to go marijuana, THC based cultivating, that is a state-run program. You go directly to your state. They will share with you all the requirements you need to meet because that has been given on wholly to them. Okay. All right. The next, the next step in the supply chain is an extractor. Mm-hmm. So there are that is also a business model. Now that model is cool, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of equipment. And yeah. isn't it, is it the same for both the THC side and the? It C- would be. It would just have different licensing requirements. Okay. Because if they comply with the farm bill and they keep the THC level below the 0.3%, then by dry weight, then they have less requirements. If they move over into the cannabis side, they have a little bit more. Okay. Okay. So, but with extractors, I should share with you, uh, you know, the two biggest expenses will be, uh, the equipment, mm-hmm. for instance, a CO2 extraction machine and a drying device kind of starts at about 200000 Not cheap. So you have to go there. And then you also have to have a ISO 7 or above laboratory mm-hmm. uh, that is also CGMP certified. So you could spend another 150 there too. Easily. Now, these are minimum numbers. So Already, I'm looking at a half a million just to kind of play in this space. Uh, why did I jump all the way up to a half a million? Because you need capital. So on top of this, 350000 just for the, the, the hard uh, equipment, you need to then move into uh, your first inventory purchases, loading up your staff. Insurance, you know, acquiring I'm sure. all, Yeah, acquiring all, all the stuff. spaces and stuff like that. Now- the good side about being an extractor is there is a lots of biomass available. What do I mean by that? The cultivators have lots of product, right? So, and that market is continuing to adjust. In other words, lots of inventory available for you to pick up so that you can extract those fluids, uh, those, those uh, oils and get them to the next step in the supply chain, which is a manufacturer. Uh, if you are an extractor, you are also heavily influenced by testing. So lots of testing and some will do third-party tests. Some will then create a subsidiary of their own company that uh, has their own testing equipment and meets all the compliance requirements. And all so, right. Okay. Oof. So that being the extractors, let's move over to the manufacturers. All right. If you want to step into the manufacturing business, uh, the barrier of entry there can be fairly low, but there's a cost to it being a low barrier to entry because to build a brand takes a lot. Literally to put a product together, take a picture of it and put it on the web does not take a lot. I literally couldn't do it sitting on my couch. Yeah. Right? I can put together a brand. I can mix all the ingredients up. I can print the label right from my computer. And now I've got a product. The challenging part is literally really making a business out of it, being able to have something that's sustainable that clients want, because the 
the business five years ago was tolerant of that. You could build this brand inside your basement, be the first one on the web and sell it. You can no longer do that. I'm forewarning you. You will, you, you know, even a small player will shell out 10 grand and we'll never get it back. Right. So be cautious, be careful, yeah. uh, have a plan to build a brand as opposed to just putting a product out on the market because you can. I'm just giving you some helpful tips there. Now, if you do have uh, interest in being a manufacturer, Right now, the regulatory compliance standards, all those are very low. So there's a need for self-policing. Why? Because of our early conversation about ethics. Yeah. Your landlords, your insurance companies, your banks, everybody's looking. Yeah. All right. So a need to self-police is very helpful in creating long-term sustainability and your brand. Yeah. You want a good product. You want to, yeah. you know, and even if you go to the, to your, I get, I don't know if this falls into this category, white labeling. Yeah. Yep. As a manufacturer, if you're a white labeler um, and you're not making a good product for all of your customers, they're not going to order again from you because their customers are not coming back to get that product from, from the store. Yep. So uh, even white labelers. And I kind of, in the beginning, I thought, wait a minute, what's this going mm -hmm. on? Why do we want to do this? I think there, that's a really scary area, but um, if you find a good one, then you're, you're, you, that's a good way to also start without maybe all of the other right. parts of manufacturing. All right. Well, let me move through this because I really want to get to uh, the brick and mortar retail and e-commerce because that's where Kimberly shines. Uh, so self-policing, I just wanted to let you know what those things entail. Uh, they entail third-party testing is probably the most talked about third-party testing. Each one of your products by, by batch goes to a third-party certified laboratory in which they analyze that product for potency of the cannabinoids, CBD, CBG, THC, whatever. Uh, they also do pesticide, heavy metals, and solvents, and moistures. Uh, so they'll do all those tests for you, provide you a report back, which you then can share with your clients. Uh, there is also um, FDA labeling requirements. You can't just put anything on the label and, and FDA has got it right. You can't just say whatever you want on there. And there has to be a standard there because consumers are used to seeing that standard. So they know where to look for the things that are meaningful to them. They also have uh, health claims at this point. FDA requires that health claims may not be made about this product because it has not yet fallen into a category in which they can define what you can and cannot do. And then last is CGMP certifications. Okay, it used to be GMP, good manufacturing processes. Now it's current good manufacturing processes. That certification, you know, if you have everything in place, which you can download those documents online, usually you can get a certification done for about 25 grand or so somewhere in that neighborhood, I've been told, because the state had to be involved before the feds got involved. Uh, so it's a little bit of a lengthy program. But again, these are things that are involved in self-policing. 
And then, you know, your quality standards have to be there. They are. Raise the price on the product to keep your quality standards high. These are the things that will help you create a long-term sustainable brand that people want. Anyway, let's go to retail so we don't lose time to talk about this. <laughs> All right. On the retail, you have to have a plan around the space that you're going to occupy, the lease. Oh, I'm sorry. In retail, you have to make a decision whether you're going to be brick or mortar or online. Or are you going to be both? Kimberly, you're both, aren't you? We are both. All right. So, but if you're at the brick and mortar state, you got to find a space. You got to negotiate a lease. You got to design it. And you got to put inventory in it. And then you got to staff it. Yeah. And then you want to defer over to your marketing plan. Once you have that business up and running, I'm just going to share a few things I know, and then I'm going to let Kim fill in the rest. Performance. You got to measure performance. You got to have goals. You got to have things that let you know, is this working? You have to have an accounting system and you have to have the ability to report. The biggest problem on reporting uh, when you start out for the business, I'm going to tell you, is taxation. They have been collecting revenue longer than you and I have been alive. Yes. They know how to do it. They know how to make you hurt. And it, yeah, so they're good at They're good at it. I'm just going to share that with you. Be careful. All right. So anyway, those are just the basics. But I can tell you one thing, because Kim probably does know this, but she probably wouldn't include it. You don't need a whole lot of space unless your design suggests you're going to be a superstore. You literally couldn't operate an 800 square foot super comfortably. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Kim, what have you learned in the retail brick and mortar space? Just that space. What have you learned that you would like to share? Oh, well, uh, I decided to make the store um, just an overall, I try and bring in as many good quality CBD products that I think are relevant to people's needs. Okay. So that's how I decided to design the store. We've got an isolate. We've got isolates, broad spectrums, full spectrums. We've got, we've got it all basically. Um, and we're a large store. I guess you'd call us a CBD superstore. Okay. <laughs> hadn't heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we, uh, we're designed to make sure that when the customer leaves, uh, they know everything that they have in their bag. They know everything and how to take it and when to take it and how beneficial it is for yeah. them. All of those things. Um, customer centric. Yeah. 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 My process for having a new product in uh, is I first I, I need to see the product physically need to see it. I need to see the test results. I need to see all just all the things about it. I want to go on the website. I want to look at your website. I want to look at everything. Yeah. And um, then I need to try it. And if all of those things feel good for me, then I feel comfortable bringing it in and selling it to my customers. Um, I don't have anything in my store that I haven't literally tried. I and uh, I also make sure that I have a book of all my test results for every product in the store. All right. So those are just my little easy things to think about. And I'm going to tell you, I've watched her do this. Her vetting process, very rigid, very well written out 
and, and very followable. I mean, you, you get your staff to do it. Yeah, I like that. So your vetting process is good. Uh, Kim, is there a way if somebody had questions about brick and mortar retail that they could reach you? Oh, yeah. You can reach me at team, T-E-A-M, at canafil.com. Uh, any questions, I can answer. You can go probably across brick and mortar and e-com, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've been doing this for six years now. So right. I kind of know. Um, and if it doesn't feel right to you, then trust your instincts and don't go there. Yeah, Kimberly would be somebody who would share because her purpose is to help make this an industry yeah that can be passed on to our children yeah i i i really believe in the product yeah. so that's most of what you really have to do is try and make sure that you're doing it for the good yeah now i hate to do this because this show is really fun to me i i really like this but we do have to wrap this up for today so i want to thank you kim uh, for your input Tammy, if you're still listening, I want to thank you for sharing your info information with our listeners as well. Uh, again, we are going to start doing live for those who want to see all of our crazy ticks and antics that we do while we're doing this darn show. Uh, but you'll see us on our Facebook. Let's look for the CBD Ed show on uh, the Facebook. So, uh, oh, I can also tell you we're going to play replay the CBD and sexual performance show since it was so popular next week since Kim and I will be out of town. So this is going to be a wrap for today's episode of the CBD Ed show. We want to thank everyone for listening. And this is Ed. And this is Kim. Sharing what's possible with natural pharmacology. Bye. Live authentically, heal naturally with Canafil. We have three unique blends for pain relief, reducing stress, and promoting healthy sleep. Visit Canafil.com for the convenience of online shopping that includes free shipping. Or if you're in Arizona, stop by our store in Phoenix for personal consultation and product selection. Our friendly staff is here to help you. All of our products have full third-party testing and a seven-day satisfaction guarantee. Call 480-599-1003 or visit Canafil.com. Canafil, giving you your life back.